In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. In the 10th century, in China, there is a story that a very small woman, small in stature, with tiny little feet, wrapped her feet up in ribbons and danced in front of the emperor. And she danced on her tippy toes and the emperor saw her tiny feet and declared that they were beautiful. And so began a procedure, a process that all women of upper class would go through for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years a process that we now call foot binding in order to make these women beautiful. It started when a girl was five years old. They would take strips of cloth and dip them in this particular liquid which when it dried would shrink the material they would take the wet material and wrap the girl's feet, bending the toes under the sole of the foot. They would wrap and rewrap every four days, getting smaller and smaller, breaking the toes, breaking the center of the foot. The process lasted two full years. And the ideal result would be that the girl's foot was as big as your thumb. They called it a golden lily. The smaller the girl's foot, the more attractive she was seen, the more marriageable she became. In so many cultures all over the world, women have been seen for the majority of human history as being something to be possessed for the purpose of bearing sons. And in different cultures, what was conceived of as beautiful differed. But the practice of sacrificing the woman for beauty was the same whether it be small feet or bleached skin or some other quality that was considered beautiful. In Jesus' day, the word itself for woman in the ancient Koine Greek, the common Greek, is the word gine which is translated most accurately as 
one who gives birth, or a birther, or perhaps walking womb. Women were understood as equivalent to cattle, to be owned, possessed. Their wombs were the valuable part of them. A woman was not allowed to speak to anyone but a man in her family, a brother, a son, a father, or perhaps a husband. Once married, she did not return to her family of origin because she was now owned by another family. So a woman would not be allowed to speak to men with whom she was not related. It was dangerous. Women could not read or write and there was no way for them to make a living. So who they married was a matter of survival. Now the land of Samaria was located right in the center of the land of Israel. But when the two kingdoms both went into exile, first the northern kingdom of Israel and then the southern kingdom of Judah, when the northern kingdom went into, was taken over by the land of Assyria, many of the Jews were taken off, but many of them stayed and they commingled with the pagans, with the Assyrians. Whereas in the southern kingdom, the Jews were generally exiled to Babylon, but they stayed faithful to their practices and their bloodlines. So the Jews of Jerusalem in the southern part of the land considered themselves pure, whereas the Jews in Samaria had been corrupted and had, well, questionable pagan-type practices. The Jews found the Samaritans very threatening, more threatening even than the Romans, because, well, it was kind of like if you're on a diet and you end up sitting next to someone who's eating a Sunday, a chocolate Sunday. It's harder to resist the person who is close to you, but doing the things you're not allowed to do. So the Jews found the Samaritans particularly repulsive because they sort of acted like Jews, but had these other practices, some things that looked idolatrous and questionable. Most Jews found the Samaritans so repugnant that they would walk miles out of their way to avoid the land of Samaria. But when Jesus and his disciples wanted to go from the Galilee to Jerusalem, and the disciples said, well, let's walk all the way around Samaria, Jesus said, no. No. He wanted to walk right through. It was noon, it says in the Gospel of John, and Jesus was tired 
while walking through Samaria. So the disciples went off to the village to see if they could get some food. Jesus is sitting by a well. And a guine, a woman, comes to the well. Now we know that there was something very wrong with this woman because women went to the well early in the morning at sunrise or in the evening as the sun was setting. The land of Israel was so very hot that noon was dangerous. Your sweat would evaporate, you could faint. Women went to the well in groups where they were safe because they were among other women. But this woman was alone, and she went at the heat of the day, which meant she was a social pariah, some kind of outcast. This was a woman who was not welcome among the other women. I imagine that she came to the well with her head bent over, hiding, and she must have seen Jesus, a man with whom she was not related, so I imagine she was trying to sort of not be noticed as she brought her jar to fill it with water. And then as she's approaching and hopefully she's beginning to go to the well itself, she hears the man speak to her. Give me a drink, he says. This was unheard of. He was acting as if he was related to her, like her brother or her son. This woman looks at him, and I, I love her directness. She says, how, how is it that you, a Jew, are asking me, a, a woman, a guine of Samaria, to get you water? Is this happening? Jesus says, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for living water. Now, we know he was referring to that living water that Moses brought out of the rock that we heard in the book from Exodus, this woman, she doesn't know what he's talking about. Which happens a lot when people spoke to Jesus. She says, sir, uh, I didn't really get that aside, but how is it that you want me to get water when you don't have a jar? She's still very practical. Jesus begins to describe to her about this living water. And she says, I want some of this water. Where can I get it? And Jesus says, why don't you go get your husband? The woman is so honest. And she's so bright. She says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You've had five. You're basically the Elizabeth Taylor of the Gospels. 
And the man that you're living with isn't your husband. The woman is blown away. Sir, I can see you're a prophet. My people say we're supposed to worship here, and your people say they're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. But tell me, since you're a prophet, which one is it? And Jesus basically says, it doesn't matter. I've come to blow all that out of the water. And she says, I know that the Messiah is coming, the Christ. And Jesus says to her, I am he. This is the longest conversation that Jesus has with any one person in all of the Gospels. And he chose to have it with a woman who had been married five times. I've always wanted to know more about her. I bet you could write a novel about this woman's life. I cannot imagine all that she must have been through because women were not allowed to divorce their husbands. Did she have a good one that died or two? Was she beaten and having to run away from one of them? Did she have an affair? What happened? How in the world did she manage to survive five of them? No wonder no one wanted to talk to her or be near her and how lonely she must have been. But the miraculous thing that Jesus does is he walks with her. He shows her compassion. The word compassion comes from the Latin, come meaning with, and pati meaning suffering. Suffering with. If you notice, Jesus doesn't tell her how to fix her life. He doesn't tell her how to find a better guy and stick with this one. He simply lets her know that he sees her, that he knows her. And it is in talking with her and walking beside her and acknowledging who she really is and what she's been through, it is that that convinces this woman that she is talking to the Son of God. And it is from this encounter that she goes into the village, and even though no one wants to talk to her, she is so excited that she blurts it out all over the place that she's found the Messiah, and she actually convinces people who come and get him, and Jesus spends two full days in this village longer than he spent in Nazareth, and more people come to believe because of this woman than in any other village. When you and I encounter someone who is struggling, and particularly if we love the person who is struggling, we often try to fix it, don't we? And when you try to fix another person, you might as well bind up their feet. In fact, you might as well bind up the whole person. 
because you cover them with your plans, your expectations, and the way you think they ought to make their life work better. We do this because we're anxious and we're afraid and we want someone to feel better and do better and see better and come out better and it doesn't work. Compassion, compati, is when we stop trying to fix. When we, like Jesus, are able to see someone for who they really are, to let them know that we see them, to walk beside them in their struggle and in their pain, and from that miraculous kind of encounter, transformation happens. because we allow the person to be themselves and we allow God to be God and by walking beside and with them in their struggle we unbind them and they are free to become the fullness of who God calls them to be. My friends, the strangest thing that I believe in my life is that I want to fix the people I love more than anybody else. And I listen less to the people I love than to anybody else. The more I love a person, the more I bind them up in my own expectations of the way I want them to be. The more I imprison them What if we were to step back from those most sacred relationships that we have? What if we were to try to be more like Jesus, who didn't see someone worthless, who didn't see someone full of problems, but who saw a beautiful soul and who walked beside her until she could see herself. He told me everything I ever did, she blurted out to the whole village. And 2,000 years later, we still remember her. This Elizabeth Taylor of the Gospels. We remember her because Jesus had compassion. Amen.